Welcome back to Art Matters, the podcast for artists. Uh, Today's episode, we have Brooklyn-based artist Nat Mead to speak with. So Nat's work explores the complex experience of moving through the phases of one's life. The figures in his paintings become stand-ins for himself as he investigates the experience of becoming an adult, a husband, and a parent. Each character viewed through the dual lens of self-scrutiny and societal expectation. Now, before the conversation begins, I'd like to give an early plug to Nat and a heads up to all my New York listeners. Nat's solo show at Hesse Flatow closes this Saturday. That's two days from when this episode airs. So if you're local, I recommend you check it out. Now on to the talky bits. So I, I just think it's a good place to start to ask sure. you about this this thing, because I've seen uh, similar images online. Uh, the small thumbnails that we have uh, up here in your studio... Are they paintings to be? Is this like, um, is this how they start? Or is this sort of like a dream board? Uh, how do you describe the the smallest, uh, these pieces on panel, which I kind of thought were at one point, maybe like photographs of previously painted paintings, but now I see they're painting paintings. Yeah, they're small. They're actually on like a heavy stock watercolor paper. Okay. Um, like a pretty thick watercolor, stiff watercolor paper. Um, and it's casein is the medium. Okay. Which has to have a pretty... Oh, that's the uh, milk-based? Yeah, milk-glue-based. Milk-glue is the binder. Um, and it needs a pretty rigid surface because it's pretty brittle. And, gotcha. and I kind of found my way into casein... Um, um, I worked with, I wanted to work opaquely in a way where I could layer color. Mm-hmm. Um, so that I'm kind of thinking of it in a similar way than I would like an oil painting. Yeah. Like, you know, building up paint and having some sort of surface quality, but I found that gouache just wasn't that durable. Mm-hmm. Um, at a, at a certain point, it just doesn't like to be messed with that much. It's much sure. more delicate. And it's I kind of like watercolor. I was yeah. never very good at it, but I always found that. Yeah, there was a point of no return with watercolor. Totally. And, yeah. And it's like that. It's an opaque watercolor. It has like some marble dust or something in it to to make it opaque. Right. But it didn't, didn't like to be like sanded and sprayed and all the things I was trying to do with it. And somebody suggested casein and it was, it's great. It's very direct. Um, it dries really fast. And so I think... I think when I'm starting, when I've had a show and I'm mm-hmm. moving on to a new body of work, whether it's a show or not, when I feel like I've, it's time to kind of generate new ideas, mm-hmm. it starts with drawing first, like s- sketching. I'll try to get out of the studio and just do lots of sketches in a sketchbook. Mm-hmm. And then some more kind of maybe more, um, a little bit more. I spend a little bit more time with like some graphite drawings if, if I can, I like to do that as well when, it, and I'm really thinking about kind of how to fill the rectangle. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I, I really, so much of this is, I really like to kind of flirt with the edges and what I'm painting and have things kind of really fill the space. And so I do the drawing where I think about placement a lot. And then these are kind of the next step where I'm, um, it's still, these are fast. I don't spend, you know, too long with them, but it's like, what's fast for you? What would you say the average oh, time like, is for these little ones? Well, I work on them. I, I what I do is I tape them all to a board, uh-huh. kind of get them wet. So they expand mm. and put tape on the backside and I kind of smash them on a board. So there's kind of like what you see here okay. where there's like five or six pieces of paper on a board and I work on kind of around them. 
Huh. So I work on lots of pieces at once for a couple of weeks for maybe like two weeks hmm. um, until I feel like I have enough. And it's kind of where then the ideas for painting come from. So this is like, yeah, it's just kind of thinking through what I'm going to paint and how I'm going to paint it. And I do think these are more kind of generalized. I don't get too much in the detail. I think for me, the rule is to keep them pretty open and not labor on them too long, but hmm. it's really about like the idea, the image slash idea. And then from there they, they become a painting and then do some of them not become paintings. Oh yeah. Okay. Yep. Okay. So this is like the editing ground for you or where you find, Yeah, I mean like, more than that too, but this is where you find if they're going to function the way that you, they function in a way that's interesting that propels you to make a full painting of them. Yeah. It's okay. like my idea. It's like an idea wall, I guess. Hmm. Um, and also like tried lots of variations of the same kind of, like you can see that group scene. Yeah. I did that several times where there's like four, if you include the horse, like four different bodies within the same, the same, in the same picture. And I think um, that's kind of new to me. I wanted to try like multiple figures. I see. Um, yeah. So it's like, it's just trying different things, some small changes. And I really try to keep it pretty open and, you know, somewhat experimental, but I like these, you know, I don't, I don't think of them. I, I hesitate to call them studies hmm. because um, like they're important to me on their own. And often I'll do a painting and then I'll go, I'll do a bunch of paintings and then I'll think, well, this idea kind of seemed interesting, but maybe I can, I can work with that a little more. So I'll go back in and I'll do a bunch of like, like this casein studies again. I don't like to call them studies, but I'll go back in and I'll try it mm. again in a different way. Like, like mm. the same motif in a different way. So it's a lot of back and forth. Um, and I like, it takes me out of the kind of labor of, of the oil paintings, which really do. I mean, they take months usually. Um, and I work on several paintings at once and, build up kind of these layers of paint slowly. And then I, I kind of, they, they change slowly. So I think. Do they, so there's a lot of, I mean, I have a million questions now, yeah. but from the point that you've, so you kind of concretize an idea, an image composition on here, yep. the painting is then begins to be executed. Do you find that there is still all the room in the world for the changes to happen in the painting? Totally. Or do you go back to the case scene if you want to? Uh... No, I think there's a lot of, there's a lot that happens in the painting and that's okay. kind of what hat. That's how, like, if you look at my paintings, like there's a lot of indication of like, small changes around the edges of the forms. Hmm. Um, so a lot of kind of work on it. I build up a surface. I build up the paint. I scrape into them. I got, well, what I'll do is I'll cover the whole thing with like mm -hmm. a transparent, pretty like solvent -y layer of paint. Mm -hmm. And I scrape the whole thing. And then I go again. And then each time I do that, it's kind of sh things shift just a little bit. Um, oh, that's so interesting. And you're yeah. working on, on just cotton or linen canvas, right? There's no. not a backing. You're not working on panel underneath. There's this, no panel. Right? No. Okay. Okay. So yeah, you still have a... So it's like a pretty rough surface. Oh yeah, yeah. I can see there. That kind of, and I just like the kind of surprises that come from that of mm -hmm. like working with lots of layers of paint and then on a rough surface and kind of 
each time kind of something new happens in, in terms of the surface of the painting. Did you always gra- uh, gravitate towards that or, that or was there a point maybe when you enjoyed the glassy, perfect gessoed no. surface of a, of a high whatever thread like count, a, uh, <laughs> you know, thou- <laughs> like a cotton duck with like six layers of gesso. Or there something. you go. All sanded perfectly in between. That was never your, your jam. No, it never okay. was. Um, okay. I've always really, um, like as a student, I spent so much time kind of looking at the actual surface, like the canvas or linen that they're mm-hmm. using. And I, um, you know, different artists. Like I, I remember like realizing that like Corbet put tons of sand in and like mix sand into mm-hmm. his paint to kind of build it up. And I, I think I've always been interested in that kind of the body of the paint. Sure. Yeah. The physicality of yeah. it, the kind of, yeah. And the kind of evidence of labor and decision-making that happens as you work on a painting for a long time. That's interesting. All right. So going off of that last piece, I want to, you'll have to forgive me, but I want to nerd out a little bit about your medium for a second. Sure. So the listeners can't tell, but, you know, walking into this place, this is a a smaller studio full of the beautiful smell of oil painting. And you're talking about casein, uh, casein, casein. Yeah. Yeah. I think so. I think that's how it's said. Yeah. And I'm just wondering, a little bit of a background. Have you always been an oil painter? Um, Have you, um, I guess, two-part question. Always been an oil painter, always been interested specifically in that medium. And then I want to ask about about the casein where it's, did you discover that on your own? How were you? I know the watercolor or the gouache you said you tried first, but I'm curious about... uh, the sort of ways you've moved through medium in your career. I mean, it, I'm, it's funny. I'm so happy to talk about materials. Like it is really, uh, I mean, it's such an important part of being a painter is the the physicality. And you kind of only can achieve that through like a real curiosity of materials and a real investment. So absolutely. um, And I, I, that's just, that's like a, it's a natural interest for me. So has it always been like going back to the yeah, school days? Totally. Like this was, uh, yep. you went nerdy about it early on. Yes. Cool. Yes. Cool. Way too much time in, in like arts, art supply stores and uh-huh. talking to people and like always wanting to know kind of like, where's the best place to go. Um, mm. I mean, so much so are even getting to know like the paint manufacturers and things like that. So, gotcha. um, so it's like a big, interest of mine you know and and so this coming to this the way i make a painting like the surface is so much part of the painting um i think there's like a there is something you can recognize that in my work absolutely i mean i'm sure that's true for most painters um but yeah i got there through lots of trial and error and like tons of like just being really curious about materials so Mm -hmm. for instance most of my paint um, comes from an artist or a paint maker named Robert Doak, okay. who's, who's based in um, kind of Vinegar Hill, Dumbo area. Gotcha. He's quite a character. Um, and he makes really amazing products and like things that you can only find with him. Like, Is it possible? Are these... Um, uh, I've been hearing lately about uh, paint that's not actually mixed with just binders and say a linseed oil, but it's... It's the pigment itself mixed with 
I want to say some sort of not resin, but an alkyd. I mean, are, yeah, is this are, any of the area that? That's true. No, these aren't alkyd-based paints. An okay, alkyd okay. is kind of it's like a synthetic binder they can use with oil paint, which I would shy away from. Gotcha. All right. <laughs> um, you know, with with the thing with like acrylic or alkyd is it's very it the way it works with the pigment, it's very uniform. Mm-hmm. And what I'm interested in is kind of the opposite of that uniformity. So Mm. kind of like if you were to put like a really good, like aged cheddar cheese in the microwave Mm -hmm. and heat it up, it would kind of do all these interesting things and separate and disperse as opposed to like a Velveeta cheese, Mm -hmm. which would be like completely smooth and uniform. Mm. Like I'm always trying to get paint to do kind of interesting new things and seeing kind of, and there's a real kind of experimental process um, with that. So that's just a big, just a big part of what keeps me painting and what keeps me interested. Do you um, still feel like you're, there's a lot to learn about paints for you? You have the supplier who you clearly know and trust. You've been doing sure. these paintings for a long time. Do you find that the, this is going to get to a question I'm going to ask later, yeah. but when you're actually making these oil paintings, do you still find a, a thrill of the unknown using so, your medium? Totally. Yes. Really? Absolutely. Right. And I use different, like I just discovered this paint manufacturer that's based in England called Wallace and Seymour. Um, and I've never seen their paints are, they're totally not like anything I've used before. They have lots of like earth tones and like transparent earth tones and um, like naturally sourced paints that are just what I was describing, like they're totally surprising and not, not uniform. Okay. All right. Um, and it's like, that's like, that's like a kind of like a gold mine for me. Like just being able to, you know, I, and then I go to different paint manufacturers for specific paint. So like, I really like manganese violet, which is like Williamsburg makes a really good, I mean, geez, I don't know how interesting this is, but (laughs) you know, it depends on the artist. I personally love this stuff. The Um, the listener, but yeah, it has this kind of elasticity and tackiness. Mm. It's almost like sticky, Mm. and I and I and I love the color too. Like I'm using a lot of purple, where it's something I didn't do before, and it's just um, I just love that pigment. So yeah, I'm, I'm, it's like a huge interest for me. And, um, and what I found is Mm -hmm. that I use like, like one thing I wanted was like a durable, like really durable layers so that if I scrape, they're not going to all flick off. Like, like, so resins are really good. Like resin based mediums are really Mm -hmm. good because resins are super hard and durable, like Mm -hmm. that kind of thing. And so most of my, processes and like most of the materials I use are pretty traditional and it's not because like I, in terms of like the mediums that I use and Mm -hmm. the pigments that I use. And it's not because um, like I have a specific interest in being traditional. It's just because through lots of trial and error, they seem to do what I want them to do. Absolutely. Yeah. It's funny. uh, This is just um, a, segue to nothing but after taking about a year on a new project where i was you know focusing on a new type of image making which involved less direct oil painting and more indirect uh, airbrush or you know that kind of like washy flat thing that i found i could use acrylic for as easy as anything yeah um, 
coming back to oil painting after that year, it's it was kind of horrifying to realize how the touch of specific pigments I had kind of not exactly like riding a bike, like it's kind of gone. Like you forget <laughs> how, you know, the, the viscosity of certain pigments and the, you know, that it's all such a feel thing. And I really totally. did. It's, it's it of is. course come back, uh, but it took, you know, there is such a feel to knowing your paints. And yes, I think I used to feel that way about brushes and now I could almost give a damn about my brushes, but I, I want to know what the, color is going to what the paint is going to feel like before i touch it you know so it's absolutely yeah i it's all about touch it Mm. has to feel like it has to kind of grab the paint in the right way for sure and i and i think that's like again like with this rough fabric that i use like this is jute or this is burlap. Um, this is, I was curious about it. Yeah. And unlike the rest, I was sort of wondering if this is just more of an underlayer, but yeah, this is definitely burlap yeah, or jute. Yeah. Yeah. So That's you right. like the fight. The guy I was talking to yesterday also works on jute sometimes and he yeah. likes the fight of a, yeah. of a tough surface. I do. And I mm-hmm. start with just, a, there's no, I don't put any um, like primer or gesso on it. I just size it. Okay. So it's like the, it's like, almost it's very hard to make a market the for at the start got it and so it's a very it's slow it really slows the process down and so you're kind of wait that's archival to just size versus sure, two. because yeah because essentially what tip the typical traditional way is just to size it and then put a layer of oil-based primer right oil primer is just oil paint right so instead of that i just put I just start the painting. And so I guess, I don't know, there might be some kind of preservation issue there, but I don't know. My paintings seem to hold up just fine. But you like the sinking in nature and the slow start. Yeah, and the body that it starts to build up like a, you can build up the body of the forms that you're painting. Hmm. And, um, and then when you, when I go back and I kind of like scrape over them, I can find them again. Like you, you build, I build up like a physical layer that is the shape of what I'm painting. And then I can, kind of lose then the process is losing and finding that Mm. yeah and as far as um you asked about casing i i it was just a a, when i worked at pratt institute a professor there um a really good painter and a really great professor named kit white Mm -hmm. he just suggested it i don't know what made him think of it i might have been talking about it was like in the office and i might have been talking about um troubles with gouache. I don't know. It's like the one place you could have that conversation. But he suggested um, casing, which is essentially like tempera. It's like traditional Mm -hmm. tempera. Mm -hmm. And there's just a real, I just really like the kind of directness. You can't glaze with it. You can't mix into it. Mm -hmm. Yeah. It it dries very fast. I just really like it. And so like artists that have used it, um, like casing tempera, um, like Jacob Lawrence is a great example. Mm-hmm. Who, a lot of his work is is casing tempera. That's yeah. interesting. Uh, that's kind of large scale, though, isn't it? Or no, can, he does no. some smaller work too. Yeah. Okay, okay, yeah, it's like poster paint. Mm. You know, it's like kind of the most basic kind of form of paint, and I I like that. Interesting. Yeah. So let's uh, back up a little bit. Uh, we could talk about this the whole time, <laughs> uh, but I'll at least throw a few other questions in there. Sure. So we talked about drawings uh, that kick it off. Yep. And you said that you said normally it's 
graphite drawings or are the drawings i see a couple ink yeah, pieces there's some there ink drawings, but i'll show you an example of kind of what i mean and i'm curious to uh, lead you in because leaving the studio to do the drawings of course it makes a lot of sense but i'm wondering when you're out of the studio if you're looking for inspiration in the day-to-day or if it's just the the uh, the change of context that's important for you why the ideas come in drawing form outside like you prefer yeah. to find them outside of here versus inside. Yeah. Um, so it's like a, I think just getting out of the studio and like going to a coffee shop or in, in my house and just kind of, I mean, it starts on a sketchbook, just really open-ended um, loose drawings. That's all. I think just, just a change of environment and, or like if I'm on a trip, like that's often like on a trip or mm. if I have some time, which I don't, you know, my day to day, I kind of feel the pressure to make paintings and get in here and produce. So if I can get away from here, it just, um, I'm not anxious that I have to be finishing paintings. And um, I really try to just kind of let drawings kind of seep in as I'm, you know, let ideas kind of seep in. And it is kind of idea. I mean, it's like, what can I make this kind of this figure or figures that I paint over and over kind of what, what am I going to put them through or what, how am I going to make them interact with the rectangle that they're in or, Hmm. you know, like one of the things I really wanted to do for this show was have um, some paintings where the light source was inside the painting. Um, so I, I have a couple where there's like a campfire illuminating the figure. For sure. Yeah. Can I, this piece that you just gave me, the drawing yeah. is an example. It's a pretty finished drawing. Is this a good example of what you do when you're out of the studio? Or are there uh, more like quicker gesture kind of drawings that kickstart ideas? Or is it normally this level of finish? No, that's like, the, that's like... After I do In a between. bunch of, yeah, so I'll do a whole bunch of like very loose, got it, sketchbook drawings. Um, okay. And then, and then the next step is like those graphite drawings, which are very like, you're right, like there's, they're, they're finite. It's so much thinking about like placement. Like I'm very like, the outline is, is, um, kind of, it's like, how am I going to, f- I start here with like, what am I going to paint? And then it's like, how does that all fit compositionally inside the rectangle? And that's like, the drawings are so much like, it's almost like they're more preparatory for a painting than these casein works on paper. They're more kind of tight and compositional, compositional, much more about like, how does this all fit within the rectangle? So let me ask you kind of a uh, nebulous question and, I ask it now because it's has been in my past so much of a concern for me too. Why this, where does the infatuation with working with the, within the bounds of the rectangle so implicitly in your paintings come from? Meaning there's a lot of people that I think work within rectangles where it is, it's a known constraint, you know, mm-hmm. it's accepted, but uh-huh. it is not such a sort of a loud compositional element as with yours, as I would add, were my previous paintings as well. I loved, for my own part, the feeling of, yeah, playing, allowing that negative space and the positive space to be uh, the 
sort of the same volume or um i i can't quite put it into words i could give it a try but i'm curious if you have any uh insights about the importance of the rectangle oh i i totally do and Mm. i'm always like how do i what's the tension between the edges of the rectangle and the the figures that i'm painting i Mm. mean and i think so much of it is it's kind of like this is the world where these guys exist. Yeah. They exist within this rectangle and it's kind of, it's, it, it imposes itself on them. Like they're mm. stuck in that world. For sure. So there's something kind of funny and something meaningful about um, having the edges of the painting kind of impose themselves on the figure where the figure kind of is squeezed into that shape. Imposes and often like a, the yep. shape kind of changes based on, the sh- you know whether it's a more horizontal or vertical rectangle you know a more like square or more like imposed is an interesting word though because they don't feel i'm i'm racking my brains for um to go back into because i've been aware of your paintings for a while yeah i've really seen a claustrophobic painting from you like you always it seems like you always allow them enough space to i like the idea that you're aware of their world so it's like you're giving them just enough room to do what they need to do yeah and no more yeah um i guess i guess so i guess there's also just like this satisfying formal thing of kind mm -hmm. of of having things just come to the edge or not quite and then that shape that shape the shape that it forms you know i think so and i mean obviously edges are so important i spend so much time like in this show i'm doing there's a lot of like color, like I'm thinking of them and I'm using an outline to kind of often there's outlines mm. uh, throughout. You're talking yeah. about a, a render, where like, it's a like a linear outline. Yeah. Yeah. Where it's again, it's just kind of a way to kind of um, it's like a tension or something. It's like, it's like, it's, it's, um, it's a way to kind of, just push where something ends and where it doesn't. So you have this, it creates this space between, so not just color against color, there's this kind of outline and then you can kind of flirt with that throughout the work, kind of figure out where it vanishes and where it is. I don't know. Um, And then also, I don't know, there's something just really satisfying of like having, having these outlines. I really like them. Hmm. Yeah. Yeah, it was always a good excuse for me to, I I liked playing with form and I liked the outlines as well in my own work because it sort of allowed me to um, not be, limited is a weird word, but to kind of have my cake and eat it too. So if I wanted to make a graphic painting and give it all the roundness and and sort of paint history to it that I wanted, then I would, but you still get the... Because there's something beyond cartoony. There's something gestural that you lose out on, I believe. If a, if that outlined, if those moments aren't, you know, breathing. I know for a fact that, I don't know if you know him personally or not, but in your uh, online show, you're working with Paul Gagner, who yeah. I think is also a sort of a master of this idea of oh, uh, so good. Uh, rounding form, yeah. and uh, but also giving it that, that, yeah, that graphic element. And, totally. And I mean, he's both pretty, serving the other, making yeah. them better than they would be otherwise. Yeah. And he, I do know Paul and he, I, I really admire his paintings a mm. lot. Um, and then also the outline kind of allows you to introduce a color 
that you can associate with the form or figure. You can kind of introduce a color that's that informs what's inside of it. Hmm. You know what I mean? So like a like this kind of pink outline around the horse there. It's just mm-hmm. kind of like it informs it the purple. It just kind of informs it a little bit. Do you think about, I don't know, the the ultra nerdy color theory while you're working? So if you have a purple, then you want to you want a nice, beautiful orange next to it to make it pop. Do you no. do you play those games? You're more of a composition and uh, the, like, a, what's the word for it? Um, description. No, I don't want to put labels on you yeah. either, but you don't think as much about these sort of color no, games. No, I don't. I guess maybe if, um, I guess maybe if I want something to recede, I might think of like, the come forward versus recede, maybe. Yeah. But no, it's not a huge huge something I think about. Hmm. Yeah. Okay. So you mentioned uh, sort of a anxiety around finishing paintings mm-hmm. and meaning uh, you mentioned it while you're talking about spending too long doing your uh, drawings on the outside and, you know, staying away from the studio. What's the, um, <laughs> I'm trying to get into this through a back door here, but it's like, what's the, You've mentioned uh, before we got on mic that you've been you were able to quit your day job. Yeah, a couple of years ago, I think you said. Yeah. So, what's the feeling now that you've got? You know, I would say, I mean, all the time in the world, which of course you don't. No, no one does, and no. I know you have a, a bunch of other uh, you know family responsibilities. Yep. But yep. like, what's the how, talk a little bit if you would about the anxiety that you face in the studio when yep. it comes to finishing paintings yep. and maybe how that differed. I think so many of our, my listeners are still very much in the part-time full-time job yep. painting in the corners. And therefore the anxiety is built in there because of that outside work. How has it changed for you uh, since then? And do you think you have a healthy relationship with anxiety? If that, if, if this is a possible thing to attain. Okay. Well, I guess just to clarify, the drawings, it was more like why I want to get away from the studio, I think. Mm. So I'm not kind of – if I'm like, I need to go do some drawings and think of some new things to paint. Yeah. Get away from the studio. So I, One, so I don't feel like I should be painting. Gotcha. But also just to kind of get away from what I have been doing to allow kind of new things to seep in. Absolutely. You know, like even if I'm drawing while I'm watching TV or whatever. Okay. Um, so it's not so much like an anxiety of finishing paintings. Mm. I really, yes, I put a lot of pressure on myself to complete work. And um, I think kind of the impetus for quitting my job, which I had for like 12 years, I always had to work. I mean, I've always had to work almost full time. Yeah. And figure out ways to make paintings around that schedule. And the impetus, I took on too much. I mean, I had opportunities and I lined them up, but I kind of took on too much so I could say I wouldn't be able to, I I couldn't meet the deadlines if I still was working. So all in, I'm going to go all in. I'm going to not give myself a choice. Mm -hmm. But, you know, this is two years, I think. And I really learned from that first year. Like I do, one thing I don't like doing is... it's funny to say I have anxiety about finishing paintings because I really don't like finishing paintings. I you like don't to, like it? I like to work on a painting as long as possible and keep it open as long as possible. And really? kind of the work really feels like at the very end when I have to 
make the decisions that say it's done. Oh, that's so interesting. Yeah. So I really like, I work on lots of paintings at once and I like that kind of building up stages and, and I kind of avoid finishing paintings. I think is it, is it's more like an anxiety of like not wanting to finish paintings, but hmm. deadlines having to have shows. I, what I, you know, it forces that on you. It's yeah. It's you have of, to finish yeah. them. And then what you, I mean, time is so important to me and I don't like the idea of like calling something done before it, it's done. I really want these to kind of generate and spend time with me in the studio and live the lives they need to live before they go on and have people look at them. So that's something I need to figure out how to balance is like taking on enough um, making smart decisions as far as like where I should be showing and not that it's all up to me by any means, but yeah. I had, I have scaled back. I have scaled back like meaning production, y- y- just commitments okay. like art fairs and that sort of thing. Yeah. You know, you have an art fair, it's up for three days. And so not having like five paintings in an art fair where like only one is up and they have the rest just to sell. I have like, two paintings in an art fair and Got I it. feel good about those, those paintings. I yep. put everything, I put everything into them. I, um, you know, those, if a painting gets out there and you don't feel good about it, it's going to, Oh no, that's, you know, uh, all of a sudden it shows up feeling. somewhere, yep. you know, and I, and you see what's wrong with it and it wasn't, it didn't, it wasn't, I mean, that's happened and I just don't like the way that feels. So I'm trying to, well, first of all, I'm so, I'm so lucky to have the, any opportunity. Mm-hmm. I, I truly feel that way and to be able to show my work. And so that's like always in my mind, but at the same time, I, I, um, I'm trying to be smart and really plan my calendar so that I give myself enough time. And so I certainly feel about the, the way that way about the work that's here. Mm. And for the first time I worked in stages mm. because it's probably going to be like 14 or 15 paintings in the show. And I've already finished like five or six of them. And those are at the gallery. So I forced I myself. I see stages, so groups at a time versus maybe what you were working on before was... 12 paintings at once. Or at once. Yeah. Wow. So finishing some paintings, you know, it's a small space, creating yeah. some space in here. And um, those are gone and they have to go because if they don't, I'll start messing around with them. Absolutely. Um, so it's good. It's I think it's good. I think it's really good just to kind of clear house and then really focus on these next ones. And so, cause sometimes what happens is like, I kind of forget about a painting <laughs> that is intended for a show. And then I have to, I kind of remember, Oh, I have this because it, it does get a little crowded in here. Sure. And I like to work on lots of, lots of things at once. So that's With interesting work- that crowded, uh, you mentioned this is, while it seems a little crowded, this is how you like working. You like uh, it's, it. Must, it sounds kind of nice to discover a painting again, a forgotten painting. You know, it's like uh, behind the other one. I get that. It yeah. Sounds kind of magical. It does happen. Um, yeah, I guess I do like a like a small space. Like I said, I've always even when I've had like a residency with a big space, I kind of like to position the tables and squirrel away, kind of into the corner i guess it's just a, a comfortability thing i mean i a lesser host would probably create the uh, the comparison between your small studio and the uh, the obsession with the tight rectangle and all of yeah <laughs> but i'm i'm a great uh, uh, host yeah. so i'm not gonna go there yeah um, oh well i appreciate that <laughs> yeah like a i'm a big guy and i these are bigger but i tend yeah, yeah i've had 
I have a friend who kind of likes Michael Brennan, who I work with, hmm. a good friend of mine, who likes to make fun of kind of big guy, small painting, kind of hunched over in a small space, hunched over sure. these little paintings. And there is something funny about that. Let me wrap around for just a sec. I want to keep on this topic, but something I forgot to ask you before. Uh, you said that the finishing was sort of your least favorite part. But uh, should I understand then that out of the drawing, out of the case scene, and out of the painting, and then the finishing, if you had to pick a favorite part of it, would it be the laboring of the oil paint itself? Like when you're actually in the painting? Or is there maybe a part that's more free and joyous that's somewhere else? Or is it really the painting that uh, your favorite favorite part of the process um i like it all i mean mm. i like everything except i mean i guess finishing and yeah. it's not that i mind finishing it's just that i i, I like to put that off because mm. because kind of allow for as much to happen in the painting as possible before you call it done got it um i like kind of like the final kind of like pulling of an edge you know mm. and like, okay um you know, so much of what I do with these paintings, I repaint, I repaint them. <laughs> mm. So like one painting I've repainted like six or seven times or something like that. Like mm. I, I just kind of paint it and then I paint it again and I paint it again. And each time something kind of new happens and the surface changes and I scrape into it and I keep things and I get rid of things. And do paintings ever sit around for a long period of time being worked and reworked? Like years or is it always um more uh, concise i mean more concise being uh, for a show you're going to work on it six times and then it'll be done do you have anything old yeah these and- days i don't they don't really sit around Got um, it. there are there are a few paintings that yeah. do and i'll pull them out sometimes like there was a, a show at dc more of small small work uh-huh. and i probably had like six or seven small paintings that i just worked on and then kind of abandoned. And then I, I was asked to be in that show and I went back into them. And some of them I've been working on kind of off and on. Like I'll mm-hmm. just grab one, kind of work on it at the end of the day. Mm-hmm. And some of them I've been working on for years. I mean, sure. years, you know, years meaning every now and then for years. Mm-hmm. And finishing those was really nice. So there are paintings that kind of sit around. There's also small paintings in here that are just... just for figuring things out. And I doubt they'll ever see the light of day otherwise. Mm -hmm. Sure. Um, So different, different, but the less, less paintings that just sit around um, these days, just because, you know, because they end up, I end up showing them. Hmm. Yeah. Um, And let's just uh, talk a little bit about scale. Uh, Your, your, more i'm more familiar with the smaller works from you we yep. have some i guess i'd call these mid-sized works you know larger but yep. um is it something do you think that a painting of this size functions differently than a than a small painting uh, for you personally and for your subject matter um does it function differently does it paint differently are there different things you're trying to get out of it or is it purely um, maybe experimental. Oh, I want to see what it's like to go big with this stuff again. How would you characterize the, uh, uh, what it's like making these bigger ones? So I think my hesitancy to work big was 
because of the process, the labor-intensive process, of and course, the, right. the density of these paintings. They kind of, if you look at them, they have these, they're almost fit together like a puzzle. Mm. Um, and to achieve that, it just takes time. So to finish a painting, I don't know if I would have admitted this at the time, I have always liked small paintings mm. and I like kind of monumental things in small paintings. So like Max Ernst painted those monsters mm. and they're little mm -hmm. and there's something I like so much of that because they do feel like these giant monsters, but you have to kind of get up close and inhabit that world, like go kind of into that painting. I hear you. And, it, yeah. and it's a different experience than a way like a huge Philip Gustin imposes itself on you yeah it's kind of you more joining the, joining the painting or something like mm -hmm. you're more kind of going into that i've always really liked that process and that intimacy and the there's an intimacy in material too i think of like forest best paintings that are mm -hmm. small and handmade frames and just the kind of that real intimate material relationship that you have with that painting and i mentioned jacob lawrence too is small mm -hmm. kind of like what they usually have the whitney from his paintings of the of the Second World War. Again, they're like these these little worlds that you have to kind of get up close and inhabit. Mm -hmm. um, so my rule for myself with working bigger, and these feel, you know, they're medium. I guess they are medium size. Like to me, they're giant. <laughs> like fifty inches is giant for me and i think like and the it, time goes up drastically the time, time it takes goes up and what i was going to say is mm -hmm. often and this is not a critique but often artists i've noticed as they scale up they change the way they paint but my rule was i'm not going to change the way i paint i'm going to i'm going to nothing i'm going to keep that intensity that kind of density that um that kind of dedication to like negative space and form and all of those things, nothing's, I'm not going to lose that because I really, that's kind of like what making a painting is to me. So yeah, I just to spend more, I just spend more time on them, that's so but they're kind of painted exactly the same way as a small painting. Yeah. And um, I guess another thing that it allowed me to do was because I always had kind of one thing, one central thing in the middle of the painting. And now I have, there's a little more context. They're not narrative, but there's more kind of more allusions to where they might be. Mm. Um, they still fill the space in a similar way. But now I have like two figures instead of one or like a big stump and a figure interacting. Like those are all things that kind of a bigger canvas kind of just allows for more to happen in Interesting. it. But I still like the the way i painted i just i didn't want that to change um i think it's really interesting that that was a a conceit or or a, an intention with this with this work because i think it's kind of um common advice to say when you scale up you know like undergrad painting advice yeah. when you scale up yep. um uh, embrace efficiency yep. and it's almost like the effortful way to transition to something a larger scale is to keep using the same size brushes and to keep holding it true to the original small form. And so again, the sort of cliche advice is bigger brushes, yes. more gesture. Yeah. You do change yeah. the feeling of the paint. And it's, I think it's very interesting that this is the thing where you have, you know, drawn the line in the sand and said that these are going to be, 
you know, and it's it's just such an interesting um, uh, problem that you're asking yourself to solve. Yeah, you know? I think that um, for years and years, kind of the 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 terrible and knee jerk advice because all these professors were coming from abstraction and the New York School and so on. It is yeah. a generational thing. Was use a bigger brush, which mm-hmm. is so. It's such a. It's it's a thought. Like you have to. It's only if it's appropriate to use a bigger brush. If the type of painting sure. makes sense, of course, that's good advice. I use slightly bigger brushes <laughs> <laughs> to make these, but um, not really. And yeah. I think that that's that was for years. I think we've gotten away from that in art schools now. Everybody wants. I, I feel like for undergrads, it's saying um, they always the new kind of use a bigger brushes put a put a. Uh, smartphone in it oh no that's uh (laughs) goodness gracious then we're all lost that's the uh the new advice doesn't matter if it's showing up everywhere i feel like that's like the instant way to make something feel relevant which is so stupid yeah throw some tech in there it's also gonna make it seem like uh a hundred years ago in five years exactly we're all just using our you know eyeglasses to uh, connect to the internet (laughs) right you know right so yes the the um kind of yeah, it's it it's um it's cool. I like that amount of like stubbornness, but also in the way that it is a loyalty to uh, uh, a a type of painting that, you know. Yeah, and I find it's helpful for me to make rules for myself. I mean, one of the big things I I decided as a you know, these this work I'm working on now, which is related to work that I started in probably like 2000 successfully probably in like 2012 where i want i always work from a source so i use photographs and i use you know for a long really? time i didn't think i used to oh you used to okay, yeah okay. i used to and i always had like a kind of a i would pose the a figure and then work from that or the, and then take some photographs and use that and that was kind of how i i was re- really reliant on that and then it was a huge difficult transition to kind of have it be come from my head. Mm-hmm. But the, the project or the problem was I still wanted directional lighting and I wanted like a tangible form. I wanted forms because often when artists start to invent things, it's not so important that there's like this solid kind of form. Mm-hmm. Does that make sense? So yeah, it's like, a, like a light and shadow play and things like that. So I think, keeping that was a big part and like shadows are obviously a really big part of my work and um so that was like the the problem and i guess scaling up now the problem is how can i keep them kind of how can i be um um committed to the way i make a painting even if it's bigger because i i just yeah it's satisfying for to me but like so i really wanted like built up surface and directional lighting and you know that then becomes the the meaning of the painting. And I really like to kind of, I think that artists tend to kind of, or the viewer with the history that goes into a painting that you've spent a long time, there's a certain reverence that gets applied to that painting and the same Mm -hmm. thing with like kind of dramatic directional lighting. And then that's like, 
that's exact. Those are the kind of indicators that I want to play with in the work. I actually don't want to get too much. I'm so glad we're talking about like working and process sure. and not about the meaning of the painting. That's really what this, uh, I, the one thing I tell, and I don't know if I told you this, but yeah. the one thing I like to avoid with this podcast is the artist statement is Good. the sort That's of the great. themes. Cause I, I also think that artists have uh, many ways of getting that out into the world. Yeah. And I think more often than not, the art does that itself. Yeah, and Whether I, or not we're forced to explain it, though, again, right. and I like this stuff. I like career stuff. Yeah, that's, and that's they tend the to be bullshit, anyways. The artist statement, and yeah. I find like the more you say them, the less true they become. Mm. So I'm kind of falling into that. But I will say that like that kind of I do like to play with the kind of the meaning that that you know all this material. What are we talking about? Surface quality color it all has meaning so it's like i the the directional lighting and the and the surface you know it implies some sort of art historical reverence that we can then that i can then try to undermine with the goofy things i'm painting it reminds me a little bit of this cool quote from do you know the sci-fi author ursula Le Guin? No. I mean, or, I think I've heard of the name. Yeah. Uh, she did a few books. She might have even done non-sci-fi books, too. Uh-huh. But something she said about writing sci-fi is that you can't just start with the sci-fi premise. You have to build a world. Yes. You have to build all the rules in it. Yep. You have to make it all uh, so tangible and so real. And then once you're, I forget if it was like a percentage, 75% of the way, then you drop the premise. Then uh-huh. you throw in the thing because, and yeah. I, I think about that a lot when it comes to painting and it just came to mind when you were talking about um, not necessarily uh, sort of honoring the past of painting, but you know, when you have a light source and when you have this, these different foundations in a painting, when you have those in place, I think it's then you can really uh, build something, yeah. build something that people can. I think I totally think that's true. Yeah. And I'm really interested in like a, creating a painted world, mm. a world made of paint. That's, I guess, another thing about the rectangle and how they fit into the rectangle. It's like, this is their, these are the confines. They live only here. Mm. Um, yeah. So there's some artists that like really present kind of a world that seems to only exist in the painting. And I'm really drawn to that. I want to, uh, I'm, trying to get to questions about your career and I will get there after this last question sure. but something I was thinking about for my own work and f- f- for the listeners they'll have to forgive me because I guess this is sort of figurative painting uh, a figurative painting question yeah but I was thinking about it with the work that I used to do about how important whether it's one figure or two figures or a figure and an object whatever it is yeah the the sort of qualities and subtleties of touch points and interactions Mm -hmm. and it's something that i think i i've liked about your work for a long time which is uh, so you're saying yes there's more figures in that work there but for me it still exists well within your um your oeuvre or whatever because whether it's like raindrops in front of a face or someone sitting on a thing or yeah I, i think that these whether they're intimate moments of touch as was usually the case for me or just something about the subtlety and quality of action i i looked i figured this out only after the fact but i think that that was sort of the greatest 
one of the greatest elements of that old painting. And I'm wondering, that is the thing that you find in the drawing, I'm guessing. So when you're out yes. there drawing, it's like, it's those little moments that you're capitalizing on. Yep. And then it becomes all of this composition That's or whatever. Right. But you think... Um, uh, maybe if you could just uh, jump on that a little bit in terms of what you, how you explain to yourself what you're looking for with these close, quiet moments that become yeah. so important. I, I'm really interested in kind of how things fit together, mm -hmm. and yeah, fit together is a nice way kind of to put wrap it. around each other, and also kind of where they are spatially in relation to each other, and that's another kind of intimacy. Is mm -hmm. like I think of it almost as dioramic space. Mm -hmm. like there's these flat forms that kind of fit in front of each other and i'm trying to place them but but also in a shallow kind of very space, shallow seems, space yeah. yeah or they're kind of almost touching or very close together and then one thing will float in front of the other or like a hand will come into the other and then the shadows become really important so yeah i think that i think it it's a it's about like um like an intimate vulnerable way to present the, f the figure these mm. these guys that i'm painting yeah like kind of make them vulnerable make them kind of um kind of soften them a little bit and i think that that's like one of the reasons i had I, I decided i wanted two forms interacting yeah so i think with the the horse was a great way to kind of let like a figure kind of drape around or wrap around oh for sure it's other a, form and yeah. there's this real intimate um relationship that happens that's not that we don't instantly think of as a sexualized moment but mm. more of like a tender or a vulnerable moment mm -hmm. yeah oh that's cool i'm i'm just i chuckled a little bit looking at your uh man reaching out from uh the beneath the gravestone and yep. even that <laughs> which is a pretty loud moment and a loud sure. idea it still has I believe what we're talking about at its at its core. This is not a, a Romero zombie film. It's like uh yep. it's somehow a very softly uh tended to scene or situation. I just think it's it's um yeah, one of the things that I like about your work, not to get too complimentary. Yeah. Um, yeah, thank you. But uh, let's take a little, like a left turn, if you will. And I'd love to talk about getting out of school for you. You went to school uh, at... Well, I did my... Well, I spent a lot of time finishing my undergrad degree. Okay, okay. Uh, and you did a bunch of residencies too, right? That was... Uh, yes, I've done some residencies, yeah. Okay. Um, I'll ask so why yeah. I'm asking first, yeah. which is just, I think it's... There's a very challenging time for a lot of artists yep. when they get out of school, whatever yep. their program is, undergrad, grad, or yep. even a series of residencies where yep. you're kind of, most of us are often asked to start start new and and wherever we are, move some or whatever, maybe you'll have a team of friends with you. But uh, any kind of memories from around that time that sure. you could share that I think it's just so helpful for young artists to hear about that yeah. we all kind of went through this diff this this period sometimes difficult sometimes not sometimes it's just the no, period when you're bartending and you barely get to paint anymore yep yeah oh it's it's um oh it was definitely difficult mm -hmm. i um i went to university of oregon yeah and i stayed i'm i'm i grew up mostly i'm from massachusetts grew up mostly in portland oregon yeah so i moved back to portland and 
you know, tried to keep making paintings. I, I did. I, for a while I had a studio in a garage. A lot of time I was just making paintings in like my apartment. I lived in a warehouse where my bed was essentially over my studio. Uh Um, and then decided after like two years of that and nothing really happening coming out of that, mm. I decided to... Meaning in terms of opportunity yeah, or paintings little. or... Yeah. Okay, no, okay. I was making lots of work, okay, okay. but nothing great and okay. not like showing my work or sure. anything. Um, like a couple little breaks in Portland at mm-hmm. a gallery there, but um, well, at the time, really big breaks for me, but... Um, uh, and then I, I just, I applied to graduate school. I decided to go to Pratt Institute. I mm. wanted to be in Brooklyn. I wanted to be around artists. I definitely wanted to be in New York city. Yeah. Um, it was a huge wake up call for me. And then when you got here, Oh yeah. Mm. You yeah, knew yeah. many artists here. Do you no. have much of a foundation? Didn't before? know anybody. Got it. Had a brother who lived here and, and like a, a kind of group of friends, that I formed through him, but didn't know really any artists. Okay. Um, and then when I finished grad school, um, I remember having this kind of, I remember like late into the summer I wasn't really working. Mm-hmm. I, you know, I kind of kept my studio at school. So I was like, Oh, I got to use this time to make paintings. And then I remembered <laughs> the realization that my loans were accruing interest. Ah, right. Okay. Like I didn't even understand that. Like mm-hmm. what? Now I owe more, like a lot. Now I know $2,000 more, 3000. I was like, how can that be? I haven't been painting them and paying them at all. I just kind of, because they kind of, you don't have to pay them right away, but they start accruing interest. And I was like, Holy, Holy shit. I'm, what am I doing? <laughs> so I had to get some, I had to go and quickly get jobs. Um, and my rule was like, I'm going to paint every day. Uh And it was like, I'm going to paint four days a week, no matter what, Mm -hmm. you know, and it was like three days a week, no matter what. I mean, it kind of got kept getting condensed, like what I had available. And I worked, I worked um, for the Joan Mitchell foundation. Mm. Um, They had something called the legacy project where you're essentially creating a database, archiving and an elder, elder artist work. Uh I did that for a while. Um, I worked for different artists I, and I worked at studio in a school, which is like this organization that places a great organization that places artists into school programs like, um, that don't have art programs. Hmm. I did that for years. And what I found was like to make enough money to pay rent, to pay back my student loans. I just had to come and kind of take, keep taking on more and more. I was working like 55 hours a week and still making paintings and still trying to get into shows. And was this a frustrating period of your life or was it? I mean, I don't know. uh... I just was like, I didn't see, I I was like, I I have to keep making work. Yeah. You know, this is not the end goal and, and I have to make ends neat. I mean, I kind of, was it frustrating? I don't know. It was hard. Yeah. It was busy and I, it was difficult, but I didn't have kids at the time. And, Mm -hmm. um, and I think things kind of came to a head 2008 or so i was just like what the what am i you know i've been out of graduate school for a year maybe yeah i think i finished grad school in 2007 and i was just like what am i doing mm. i had applied to skowhegan mm-hmm. but i really felt you know every now and then i would have these moments where i just kind of panicked and i was like what am i doing <laughs> because of a uh, doubt just, in the world yeah just or... like not much interest not much happening you know and like 
looking at the work and thinking, is this any good? And no real positive reinforcement coming my way. And just a lot of self-doubt, I think. And then um, – Was that with you the whole way through? Was that present uh, after undergrad as oh, well? Yeah. Or always, Okay, okay. Always. wasn't like something that set in after grad no, school. No, but I or... think that, you know, when you're in school, you have a context. There's a reason people don't ask, like, what's your job? You can just say, I'm going to graduate school. Yeah. Um, I mean, it took me like six or seven years to finish undergrad. Mm -hmm. You know, different – you know, working, taking a break, working. And yeah, I played – college football that was for four seasons okay <laughs> i like went to school i started school on a football scholarship um trying to also in my head i was going to be an artist but it's very different worlds um anyway like yeah. when i when i got here and then i i remember speaking to a friend on mm. my phone on the phone you know that's when like artist friends really come in handy oh. is when you're having when i'm ha when i was having these kind of very like all that self-doubt yeah you know just someone to say you know your your work is good you know mm. and be honest with you or like or your work is bad <laughs> or your work is bad but you should keep working and yeah, so yeah, on yeah. you know i yeah. um and i remember talking to someone on the phone very dis a good friend of mine very discouraged hanging up the phone checking my email and i got into scowhegan mm. and that was just like i couldn't believe it mm. And even when I got there, I kind of thought like I have no business being there. There's such talented people there, and but also like, well, maybe I I got in because I deserve to, or I belong here. You know, mm. I can be one of these people. I'm one of these 65 amazing people. So mm. something happened where I got in, and then I have to say, for a long time, I really wasn't. Occasional group shows, I wasn't showing my work very much, but I did. Like I got in the the Sharp Willenis program. Mm. I got into Skowhegan, like those things, or like I had a show at a small gallery called Honey Romka in mm. Bushwick, mm. Um, and Todd Lippy wrote a review in Art Forum. Like little things would happen that helped kind of with the self-doubt, mm. you know, help kind of like, okay, I can keep doing this. I'm not a total failure. But it wasn't because I think a lot of artists think that when you get some of these opportunities, especially like a great residency or a write-up or yeah. that this just, it's like then the ball starts rolling and then everything else happens in quick succession. Yeah, I mean, I, and think, I think that's actually not very often the case, but yes. I, I don't know about for you. If, if no, okay. it, it definitely okay. wasn't the case. and I, But it was for some people. I mm -hmm. saw that happen for sure. some, like Jacoby Soderwhite went to Scowhegan with me. Mm -hmm. There, you The day I met him and the, I remember his presentation, I was like, well, this, there's no doubt for this person. He's yeah. so talented. He's so, the energy in his work, I was just like, well, of course. And then like, there's some other artists that kind of through Scowhegan got noticed and kind of blew up. Um, but for you, what you took from it mostly was this sort of re-energizing, uh, you know, you took more of a, um, like an emotional lift from yes, these things. Just okay. confidence, just yeah. confidence and just kind of let's, let's keep, let's keep giving this a shot. Not that I, I don't know if I ever would have stopped, but you know, um, I, th but what I kind of, if I could put my finger on a breakthrough for me, hmm. Um, my, my oldest son was born with a disability called Angelman syndrome, which is a neurogenetic disorder, which means different things for different people. But for him, um, 
you know, uh, sense like uh, sensory issues and nonverbal and um, impulse control. And at the time, like when he was born, he was failure to thrive. And we kind of had to, you know, it was very, he didn't, he went breastfeed all. He went, it was, it was hard to get him to eat at all. So yeah. all of a sudden, you know, before I had to work to pay rent, but I could always pay rent or I could mm. borrow some money from my brother maybe or something like that. And I could make, still make paintings, you know, if I lack sleep, so what? Yeah. But all of a sudden there was like real stakes um, in my life where I had this person um, that I loved and was responsible for that I had to keep alive. Yeah. And um, I, th- with that experience came, um, just this decision that like you need, if you're going to make art and you're going to keep making paintings, you need to make paintings for yourself. Hmm. I don't know. I don't know quite how to describe it, but somehow I was able to like lose a lot of self-consciousness and also kind of not make work with some other kind of idea about painting in my head. And try to try to find my voice, whatever that means, hmm. or or find my voice. I guess somehow it was like liberating for me to really make it matter and to not pl- try to please this idea of like a gallery world or a or a, a critical world or other artists that I wanted, you know, that make paintings that seemed relevant. I like <laughs> all of that. Like I don't care. And I'm just going to, I'm going to make paintings that, um, like, and that's why I had to come up with rules for myself. Like, what do I like about a painting? You know, directional lighting, form, all those things. But also like, you know, for years and years, like I've always been interested in like this kind of like American regionalism, German new objectivity, Mm -hmm. um, like these very kind of these art movements that when I was in grad school were couldn't have been less cool, Yeah, you know, but it's like, this is what I like. This is what I'm gravitating. And I feel like there's been this change, this all of a sudden young artists know who like Marston Hartley or mm-hmm. Milton Avery, they like know about these, like they know and care about um, these artists, but coming up, like if you were in a, when I was in graduate school and you said, you know, I want to paint like Thomas Hart Benton, mm-hmm. probably still, get some shit for that i think still <laughs> i mean not as much yeah. I, you know a little but like diff- the uh, fact that there was like a grant wood retrospect you know a grant wood show at the whitney and it was well received and people were interested in it yeah or like paul cadmus or george tooker or jared french all these artists that i was like really into um this kind of american regionalism social real ben sean like is you know one of my favorite artists ben to this Sean's day great. and yeah. I, I um i was like well what do you like about Ben Sean? And like, how do I make that my thing? And also do it in a way that feels new and contemporary and fresh. And um, so, you know, that's, that was huge for me is like, just with the birth of Ryder, my son, and just kind of like, let's start figuring out who you are as an artist and not trying to kind of please people through the work. You know, this is all cliche, but it's no, listen, I I think this is a great, um, um, just a great expression of something that is, um, I think is known, but it's also, it's like, you can know it, like you're saying it's a little cliche, but 
it really is a step outside of sort of a known universe to take to accept the idea because it sounds so weird that you've been painting for not yourself for a period of time that's that's right and it's it's weird because it's not i don't think any of us are intentionally saying oh yeah i'm gonna paint for a gallery or i'm gonna paint for a trend that's happening now i think that maybe we'll play with those things it's not like we're totally ignorant but um I think I've also come to, I'm not quite there yet, but I've at least started inching towards the idea that this is, that the only way to really get the years with this, uh, with this uh, life that I, you know, this painting life is to figure out how to do it for me, you know? And I think it's great that that was, I like that that was your big break in a way that it, um, and it really does sound appealing that the like a level of confidence and I, you know, not knowing what that experience is like, I think that it's kind of for an artist to find their, yeah, it's interesting. We talk about finding a voice, right? Yeah. But it's not so much a voice. It's a confidence and it's an idea of who you're painting for. I think that's so essential yeah. and it's and, kind and of elusive. Not uh, ignoring your proclivities. I think that mm-hmm. there was, um, you know, I still talk to students a lot. Um, do you teach at all? You know, I'm going to teach one class this fall, but I haven't taught in years because I was working as an administrator for so long, but still in the educational world where you do interact with, and I love talking to, and I still visit schools and talk and so on. Got it. it. But, um, I had someone say to me, Alexi Worth. Oh, he's, uh, he taught at my school too. Oh, he did? Yeah. Yeah. Lovely guy. He just, he's in the Sharpalentis building, right? Yeah, yeah, studio. that building. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, you know, I, I sought him out because I saw a show and then he spoke at Pratt and then I went and sought him out. And really He's good sm- at crits. Great writer. Oh, yeah, yeah, for I mean, sure. Incredibly smart. I mean, <laughs> um, but he he said to me something about painting your weakness, um, mm. which I think coming from like a coming. This was coming out of grad school that that meant to me like you're kind of close. I interpret that as kind of what are the kind of impulses that you hell hold most closely. Do you know what I mean? Like hide, meaning hide, or just uh, just the things that you care most about. Yeah, but, but I think that you. I think that there, at least for me, there was this idea that that was kind of what's holding me back and retrograde and provincial mm. and so on. So I think that he was like, "Well, why not make that your thing?" Interesting. And for me, that meant like it's okay to look at like it's okay to like Ben Sean and think like, how can I learn from this painting or like early Philip Gustin, you know, which I, I, those are some of my favorite paintings. Well, it's my, in the whole world. You you mean like the, uh, what is it? The, uh, like all the paintings he did of children and like a junkyard or he has Mm -hmm. this one, there's this one that's upstate in Utica. It's called the porch. And it's like, again, it's like this, it's like these figures kind of, squeezed together in this mm-hmm. very shallow space sure. and interacting in such dense paint and you know like those things like i'm drawn to those so you know you can't do it in sort of like a retrograde like i'm gonna paint like i'm from the early 20th century yeah but you can't i can kind of learn from that and then you know at the when i was in grad school there was this book called vitamin p hmm 
It was like this anthology of like hip, like Matthew Ritchie, like kind yeah, of yeah, yeah. I've seen it very before. Yeah. like mm-hmm. successful painters who were happening right then. Yeah, and um, it was very slick. I mean, the aesthetic was slick throughout the book, you know. Yeah, and I think that that you know, and then you see, but then you'll I'll I'll see like a I remember seeing like a Tom Noskowski show in grad school and thinking like, wow, he's making these like clunky mm. <laughs> abstract paint. I mean, not clunky, but I mean, in some ways they're very graceful, but the forms are really kind of awkward and clunky. And I, 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 that's, I was drawn or like discovering, like, I remember there's this German artist named Tom Noskowski Mm. who I forget the gallery, but he curated, he kind of curated a show and he had, that's where I first saw where he was able to select work that he wanted in the exhibition. And that's where I first saw like a Forrest Best painting, okay, which is very like, I don't know how to describe it, but it has this kind of hand-built quality that I, I, there was just something there. It's like, it was like a whole new possibility for me. And I think that um, it was really important. That's very interesting. I, I think, yeah, it's just such an interesting territory to talk about that, that leap between, well, first of all, how tied up we are we all are in trends and what's going on at the moment like you said this slickness which as long as i've been in new york maybe we got back to a place of slickness like this sort of illustration infused thing but just you know every 10 years or so there there could be a new vitamin p where it's just a whole new thing that you know unless you just happen to be on the particular zeitgeist day you're going to feel apart from and then you're going to have to even if you're being to your you know very honest with yourself about your work you still might be um positioning yourself in a way that's not that's not you yep did you find when this little breakthrough happened this little breakthrough this this moment happened and your son was born and um so, so much vanished at that point and there was a lot figured out and I'm sure your life changed very drastically, but what, um, what immediate effects happened after that? Was there like a gluttony of work and then was it not too long after that you, you made this decision to leave the part-time job maybe I'm, or no, the full-time this, job? This or... happened over a long time. So okay, I, okay, I started, gotcha. ma- I had a, I had a couple paintings hmm that were in a gallery called 106 green mm. in which was a gallery. I think Ridley Howard and a couple other people started in Greenpoint, And I had a couple, couple of faces up until that point, I'd kind of been painting f- figures and oftentimes they were kind of like related to film and movies. I don't know. I kind of, anyway, it doesn't mm. matter. But I, I did these faces that are these kind of bearded figures. Mm-hmm. Um, not all bearded, but these kind of, where like shadow was really important and kind of casting a shadow and kind of how does like a shadow hit a shoulder or one of them had like, like cell bar, like a jail cell bars and they were casting interesting line linear shadows on the figure. And it was kind of also, I think to be kind of make up my form, make up what I was doing, not rely on a source. I had to kind of reduce things into like more simplified forms, Mm -hmm. right? More basic shapes. Um, so there was some of that and that was like that happened. And then I think kind of with that work, I went to Sharp Lennis. while I was at Sharp Lennis, I had the show at 
Honey Romka. Mm. So that was probably 2018. I got that review. Not that that, you know, again, it was a confidence boost. It didn't lead to anything. Hmm. Um, Did you have expectations about um, about these movements or at the time? Like, was it... Was there expectation after that review and then disappointment that came in? Or did no. you feel like you were more centered in general about no, I just these things to... take the time they do and you're, you're sort of happy <laughs> I mean, where I you are, good I where you are? I would have liked like yeah, yeah, yeah. a little bit more to happen, you know? And sure. like, but I didn't, there was no expectations, I don't think, other than like, how can I get to the next thing? Um, you know, and then I was, I had a sh- I had a gallery that I showed with in Portland for a long time, so I've always had exhibitions every couple years. So this gallery in Portland, um, you know, a good gallery, and and uh, I showed there for years. I mean, I had probably had like six or seven shows, so I was always kind of had a place to show my work, which I was see. always important to me. Um, then a pandemic hit, and during that time, a gallery based in Spain, which represents me now um one of two galleries has flato in new york where i'm going to have my show in september and then this this gallery in in palma de mallorca in spain and they contacted me they oh well so with that experience of my son i also discovered instagram and i didn't really know about it and I also like was opposed especially with facebook i just would not show my work on them. i just i thought i can't it's so lame to show your work on social media. <laughs> I was so opposed to it. Interesting. And then I think I was hanging out with a, I was hanging out with a former student of mine who's become my friend, and he showed me Instagram. I was like, "Wow, artists are they're putting their work up here." And wow. so I did. I, I I started an account, and that was that was like huge because I've never been very good at. Um, I'm just not good at like approaching people, not good at approaching galleries. I'm not good at um, promoting myself in that kind of, in kind of like a social context. I'm just not. (laughs) And so Instagram was a way to kind of not to promote myself. It was just a way to promote myself and it felt okay. And based on that, Oscar, who's the owner of L21, saw my work, offered me a show and that show really kind of, sold really well and more galleries started paying attention and then Hess Flato put me in a group show and then they offered to represent me and gave me a show and and things kind of took off from there so um you know but it was Instagram was was huge all of a sudden there's this community of people who are interested in painting and people are interested in a certain type of painting and I'm discovering painting and it doesn't feel like feels like okay for me to say hey beautiful work and a comment you know, or message them separately and, you know, um, just try to, if I see an artist whose work I really admire, kind of let that be the guide. And it doesn't feel like I'm networking. I'm just being, it's just an honest curiosity and meeting people that way. And that, that was really big for me. Yeah. Yeah. I, uh, I think we should, uh, wrap it up in a moment, okay. but I'm curious if that sort of led in, in some ways to the show that you just curated. You said that you hadn't done that before, but that sort of, you know, networking and the, the ease with which you found that you were now, um, you know, talking, reaching out, and of course, you know, getting a more, more of a, 
representation under your belt. Was curating for you like pulling teeth or did Mm -hmm. you find that this was something that felt natural and felt like... It um, felt natural because mm -hmm. I'm such a fan of painting. I just kind of could reach out to different painters that I know, that I like, that I love their work. Yeah. And that was really fun. I mean, it it was really fun. I, I, I loved it. And I loved kind of... It's so nice that it's both like a representation of me mm-hmm. and it's a representation of these artists. Yeah. And then I could reach out to people who are much older than me, much younger than me. I have a, a person who was my teacher. I have two former students in the show. And um, so I'm kind of – it's so such a nice kind of like – um, web of interest and camaraderie, but um, what holds it all together is just these these artists that I really admire their work. That's yeah. so cool. Yeah. I'd like to end with, um, as sometimes I do, do you have any adv- like a bit of advice? I mean, you've already offered a lot of advice in this conversation to younger artists, yeah. but if there was one thing you wanted to leave listeners with in terms of a, a career in painting and uh, education and residencies, is there something that you've learned along the way that, you know, of course, can be summed up in a uh, sentence or two? Anything that comes to mind? You know, it's hard. I People, every now and then someone will have a kid, a new baby, and they'll ask me for parenting advice. And I, I'm always just like, nope. That's interesting. I'm glad I didn't go there. I've talked to a few artists who were mothers, and I yeah. haven't talked to too many fathers before. Yeah, but I, mean, I was about to go hard into that, and then I was thinking, well, we've we've yeah. covered a lot of territory yeah, yeah. at this point. Yeah, um, no, and I so always no parenting. I have advice. no parenting advice. None, Fair enough, because Fair it's enough. it's um it's different for everyone. Sure, you know, and it's and it's a it's really hard, and it's a big challenge. So to kind of try and sum it up with a few sentences of here's what will guide you through this, I just. I, it's very difficult. And I think the same thing with this. I don't, Mm. um, I can only speak to kind of what I've been through. I, I Mm. don't know that I'd, (laughs) that this would work for everybody. You know, I think that, um, I guess the most important thing for me is just being curious, um, curious about other artists, um, curious about painting, you know, going and seeing the work um, is so important and mm. like curious about materials. And um, that's really just like, I'm always excited about this. And I think about making work when I'm, when I go to bed and I wake up excited to get back in here and make work. So sure. that's like, I think um, sometimes I think people fall into a rut of, where they don't enjoy the making and it seems like the make enjoying the making is the most important thing. I totally agree. And I would use myself as an example. <laughs> yeah. And I've been examining this period of my work is like the, the making has become less enjoyable yeah. and until I figure out how to get it back to yeah. exactly where it, cause you're right without that. Yeah. You're even if you're, concept is good or you're represented or all of that like it is all hanging by a thread i think enjoying making which is why i love that we spent so much time talking about the painting of it because you're very clearly so invested in the the building yep yeah definitely yeah 
Well, uh, Nat, this has been a lot of fun. Thank you yeah. for sitting down with me. Thanks for the invite to the studio. Of course. And, and thank uh, you. It was great questions. And I'm really happy with where the conversation went. <laughs> excellent. Excellent. Yeah. All right. Thanks, All right. man. Thanks. And that was my conversation with the artist Nat Mead. Honestly, that time, I think we got more into the weeds in the craft of painting than we ever have before. If you guys are digging that and would like to hear more interviews of that sort, uh, please send me an email at artmatterspodcast@gmail.com. Now, if you'd like to find out more about Nat's work, you can go to check the episode description or you can go to his website, which is natmead.com. If you want to find out more about my work, you can go to isaacman.com. That's with two A's and two N's. Like I said in the intro, um, if you're listening to this on the publishing date, uh, Nat's solo show is open for a few more days, closes October 14th at Hessa Flatow Gallery up on West 26th Street in New York. Um, so check it out if you got the time. And if you're enjoying this podcast, like always, please share it on Instagram. Tell your friends about it. Uh, anyone you think would benefit from hearing two artists talking about art. Uh, but anyways, thank you so much for listening and uh, stay tuned. Uh, two weeks, we'll be back with another episode of Art Matters, the podcast for artists.